Welcome to Who New. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is episode 8 of season 5, The Hungry Earth. Humans are not the only sentient beings native to Earth, the Homo reptilian Silurian race have awoken to stake their claim on the planet. This episode is written by Chris Chibnall, directed by Ashley Way. It originally aired on the 22nd of May, 2010, and was watched by 4.5 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. This is Josh. This is Frank. This is Kelsey waving to you from the past. Hello, this is Auburn. This is Brian. In a remote town in South Wales in 2020, a mining company drills deeper into the earth than ever before. Holes begin to appear around the dig site and something pulls one of the workers, a man named Mo, down into the earth before the hole seals itself up. Hey Mo! (laughs) I thought the hand through the ground was cool. I mean, I know how they did it. They just flipped the the shot, but I thought that was a great visual. Oh, I didn't know how they did it. That's cool. What do you mean mean by they flipped the shot? They could have also turned the camera upside down. Or that. It's a hand coming through the ground the normal way, like a zombie would come out of the grave. And then they just flip the shot, or like Josh said, reverse the camera. So it looks like it's coming through the Earth's crust into the core. And I thought that was a cool way to illustrate, like, there's something down there that's not normal. Uh, considering the, the title of the episode, The Hungry Earth, and the thing pulls it under, like, the Earth ate him, I remember watching this originally and thinking how creepy and weird it was, but knowing what actually happens took the whole creepiness out of it for me, because it's so sci-fi. And when I, like, I wasn't, I didn't, usually when I, even when I know what's going on and I watch these episodes, I still get a feeling of, oh, that's really weird. But this time watching it, full well remembering what happens, I was like, oh, all right, that's a stupid guy. <laughs> well, because they're trying to amp up, like, what could it be that scary and they, yeah which they totally should yeah uh, it, it, I just found it funny like this isn't freaking me out at all <laughs> so uh, at the beginning of this we got a uh, text on the screen telling us where it's located and the time because this takes place in 2020 which was 10 years into the show's future we've almost caught up here in the present but is this a real Welsh town because I, I don't think anybody on the show did try to say the name of it well but this is pretty typical for Welsh words. Okay. So it might not be it might not be a real Welsh town, but <laughs> trust me, there is a lot worse. They probably picked this one because it's easier than most. It's spelled C-W-M-T-A-F-F. So A being the only vowel is very good for us. And <laughs> yeah. I think it's pronounced Steve, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I did put it in uh, Google Translate, and they said it was Cumtaf. But I don't know if that's right or not, using the oh. W as a U okay. sound. I thought it was off. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing that was cool about this cold open, because I, I did kind of watch them out of order-ish and then went back. They both start, this and the next part, which is a two-parter, both start with like narration of a story. Right. But different narration. But different narration, yes. yes. But they kind of, like this one is uh, Mo reading a, a storybook to Elliot. Right. Where the next one has a different narrator. We can talk about it when we get there. And the but, book was Gruffalo, which I don't... Gru- I think it was Gruffalo. Gruffalo, oh, yeah. By Sorry. Julia Donald. Okay. They made a movie of it. Because that phrase he said sounded very familiar to me. Chapter one. (laughs) In the beginning. I heard that before. It seems so familiar. But who is this creature with terrible claws, terrible teeth, and his terrible jaws? Yeah. The cadence of something else. The cadence of a you know nice kid's book. So, But it seems so familiar, but I don't remember hearing this book or movie before. It's not a very old book. I mean, I think it kind of came out around that time, actually. But it was nice to having a nice little family to start it off, and that he's dyslexic and can't read, so he's listening to audiobooks all the time, setting that up. So it was just a nice little town, and then things go crazy. Mm-hmm. Basic setup. Uh, so The Gruffalo was originally published in 1999. So it was about... Even 10 years prior 10 years prior, yeah. I've never heard of the book, but... Shooting for Rio, the TARDIS lands in South Wales, to the occupant's surprise. The doctor senses something is wrong. The ground doesn't feel like it should. 
Rory is worried about Amy losing her engagement ring and returns it to the TARDIS as Amy and the Doctor go to the mining rig. As Rory exits the TARDIS, Moe's wife Ambrose confuses him for a detective who she has called to help find the missing coffin of her aunt. She and her son Elliot take him to the gravesite. Her uncle had just passed and was to be buried on top of her aunt's grave. The ground was never disturbed, but when they dug down, her aunt's coffin was missing. Elliot believes that it must have been taken from underneath. The beast below. <laughs> well, he thinks that he actually th- says that he thinks the ground is eat- the eating people. The earth is eating people. I can't remember exactly how he put it. When you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Thank you. That's coming from a dyslexic kid. <laughs> that would be that would be Spock in Star Trek Six. I really liked the whole uh, Rory decision making few seconds of like, is he going to go along with this or not? And he's, you know, like I, I found it very charming. I almost hear his inner monologue kind of going, Right. When in Rome. Yeah. (laughs) It seems to work for Amy. It was almost like he wasn't verbally quick enough to come up with a rational excuse to say he's not, so he just went silently along with it because he couldn't figure out what to do or say. Which I think was such great acting in just a response without having to say a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could see all the stuff going on. He really emoted that well. Well, the thing about I Love Ida's character, and even when he was in the grave talking with them, was that he never he he never seemed stupid or dumb. He just seemed tongue-tied. Uh, and then earlier on, you know, he'd freak out about what's happening, but everything that he was saying, he would never be like, what's going on? What is all this? He would be saying, this is happening. This is time travel. These are dinosaurs or whatever he would say. We didn't get there yet. Uh, he always knew what was happening, and that's, that's what I like about him. Yeah, I just want to say, at this point in the season, I am loving Rory. Like, yes. I just, I'm so happy that he's along for the ride in the TARDIS. I'm so happy to have him as a companion. I just, yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, what I've been saying all these last few episodes. Is we don't know how likable Amy is yet because she's still in the unlikable phase of her character. I mean, the whole idea of taking the ring to bring it back into the TARDIS to be safe is contrived, is set up for story plots later on and to separate them. But I think it really was done well. The way they were acting was, okay, I'd buy that. He would be like, no, we're not going to lose this. <laughs> I am going to put it somewhere safe. I like, I like his lines like that. I think he said, cost a lot of money, that. The way he said it was just funny. <laughs> That's a British thing. Yeah. yeah, I've heard, yeah. Uh, before that, when they wave to the future selves, I really like that. I don't know why. And it reminded me of uh, Father's Day when the doctor says, because they, you know, they, they're waving at their future selves and the comments are like, oh, we're together. We're still together in 10 years. Let's go see, go talk to us and see what's going to happen. And then uh, the doctor says, you should, you know, like stops her. You shouldn't go see yourselves because things can get compli- very complicated. And it reminded me of Father's Day. Mm-hmm. of how there was two sets of themselves in um, the, the 80s. Does that have a payoff later on? I can't recall. I think the payoff is going to happen in the second episode rather than what I think Josh, no, I, Josh I, is thinking. I mean, I mean way, way yes. down the line. And that's what I mean. After I, the two-parter. And I think your question, Josh, is no. And that's what I don't like about it. It's done as a stunt for these episodes, Yeah. and it's not really addressed or brought back or explained later on. I don't know. Is it just me, or does, does anybody else feel that you know, it might be Chibnall's writing. Now that we've seen more of his writing, it kind of does match. Doesn't it just seem like everything is a little different, a little not your typical Doctor Who? It's like, it's not wrong, but like, why, you know, another Doctor, another episode, if they saw them, if the Doctor saw his companions 10 years later, you know, across the way, he wouldn't just be casual about it. He'd be like, what's going on? Why is that happening? You're not supposed to do that. That's against the rules kind of a thing. Don't you know how dangerous that is? And to hear it is just kind of like a plot contrivance. Kind of Yeah, I, I, I agree. Now that I know from what you just told me that there isn't a, a payoff for it later, I thought if it was something down the line, like a, a bad wolf situation where they're setting something up, if it's just a thing to put in there because it's kind of weird, it's cool that it's kind of weird, but you're right, it's... Usually anything that's made a point to be stopped and looked stopped and looked at is woven into the story. This just wasn't. Chris Chibnall, he's the showrunner for Jodie Whittaker's season. Uh, he also did Torchwood. Yeah, he did two episodes of Torchwood, and he did episode 42 with Martha before he did uh, The Hungry Earth. And he also did Broadchurch, didn't he? Uh, I think that comes later. Yeah, much later. But- yeah. But back to just that image of them waving at each other, it also reminds... I think I had seen the movie, it's a Spanish movie called Time Crimes, where it, a similar thing happens, so it reminded me of that, and I wanted that to pay off similar to the movie Time Crimes, but it never does. 
I, I think it, it does help separate Amy and Rory from the past companions, too. Like, there is something different about the two of them. Like, uh, just the way that they're they're interacting with the Doctor and each other, and, you know, they're outside of time, like Amy with the, the soldiers. Um, they, they, they're just new to me as, as a viewer who's only seen the new series. There definitely feels like there's something different about them than, uh, than we had with uh, Rose and Donna and Martha. Yeah. On first viewing, that's super cool. But now knowing, I'm like, oh, what's that? That's, there's no point to that. Well, I th- so. and I did like that it allowed Amy to say to Rory, like, it always works out fine. Right. right. Because they believe, like, oh, that's us 10 years in the future, so everything's going to be hunky-dory for 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, and by the end yeah, of this. and story-wise, that's really good. Except Amy's surprised at it. Oh, well, we're still together in 10 years? <laughs> Well, so that's another part of why well, we don't a lot like of her. us, or I don't like Amy, mm. you know, up to this point. She's just, a, you're getting married tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Always a tone of surprise. Well, right. and she just made her choice in the last episode for right. Rory. Right. So she is like, yeah, she's wishy-washy on that arc of like, what does she really want? I feel like I would have the same yeah. reaction. Really? If, How happy if do Alder I look and over I there? Saw each other, I'd be like, "Oh, cool!" Like, or I, and I understand she didn't say, "Oh, cool." She just yeah. said, "Oh, she was surprised. we're still yeah. together." But I feel like uh, it did work out. I don't know, despite I, all my doubts. But that's their, that's Amy and Rory's dynamic. Yeah, yeah. You know, she calls him stupid. Yeah, yeah. She calls him idiot. Like, yeah, that was she a, calls him idiot. I guess not she stupid. She calls him it. idiot. You idiot. There, it's, it's. She has a very playful. Um, uh, demeanor with her fiance. Yeah, but I didn't take it so much as sarcasm in that moment. She was genuinely like, "Oh, okay." I don't think Amy's thinking that far ahead. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's good she, point. the the idea of it sounds good, but like to actually see it manifested in front of you. She would go rushing up to see her ten year in the future self and just have a blast with it and not consider any of the consequences um, for fun. She would just do it for fun. Now, Amy, I don't know if Amy would do that in the end, you know, later. But here at this point, yeah, she's she wants to have fun with it. Now that we've had this this, this discussion about that particular waving scene, it made it made me think of something that's coming up soon. So I'll we'll revisit this. For some reason, the drill stopped during the night. Nazreen Chandri and Tony Pak, scientists leading the drill, arrive and cannot find Mo. They find the hole in the concrete floor, but it is filled with dirt. They are able to turn the drill back on. The doctor looks at the computer readings from the now operational drill and sees the earth below the building is moving. He tells everyone to get out, but at that moment, more shaking causes additional holes to appear. Tony starts to sink in one of them. Amy goes to help him, but the ground below her begins to sink as well. Nazreen helps Tony out and the doctor, who is holding on to Amy, tells them to shut down the drill. But Amy sinks below the surface and is swallowed by the earth. I do feel that this story arc feels a bit more simple than a lot of the Doctor Who episodes, even the ones we don't like. Like, the story just feels a little bit more traditionally told. It does seem like a very classic Doctor Who storyline, where it's like we go on these rambling tangents that never amount to anything, you know, like the fourth Doctor running through jungle <laughs> for an entire 30 minutes. You know, like this, like, like you know, the, they're they're at the grave site, and they're, trying, they're talking about, you know, the ants coffin was disappeared and i know that's just to set up you know that there's something underneath that's digging up but we never come back to this yeah we never find out like why it would be specific to graves like yeah it just is dropped and there's a there's a few things like that in this episode where it's like you guys are padding this to make it two parts well the thing is is that they're trying to set up the hungry earth what is stealing people when actually a coincidence is what's stealing people like even Mo, like it wasn't after him. He just happened to to be there to poke his yeah. head, you know, into the gravity well or whatever it was. <laughs> Another thing that makes me think of classic Who is the way Amy gets taken out. It's kind yeah. of like we just did the um, resurrection of the Daleks, and then you had to find a way to get Turlo separated from the rest of the group. And, but I thought that this was a good way to get Amy separated. You see her motivation and wanting to help out uh, Tony. And that brings me to the the waving of the future selves. It made me think in that moment that the doctor is saying, like, get out, get out. But then Amy goes back to help Tony. Having seen herself 10 years from now, right. it's like motivation for her to, to say, I'll be fine if I help him. 
Right. So maybe that's I what it that was. It, I'm jumping ahead slightly. When when we see what happens to Amy in just a little bit, and she's upset by the situation, I was waiting for her to remind herself, no, 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 everything will work out because I know I'm okay in 10 years. And, and she didn't say that. And again, it was like if it was just that would have been enough to to give that scene with the waving more meaning. Yes. That Amy's being more brazen yep. during the story as a result of that. Yeah. So. If, if they had tied it in somehow. Yeah. That I think that would have worked better. But the fact it's there is still cool, and like you said, like we can sort of think that into that that is what she was thinking. Which I'm not I giving like. her that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, the doctor had a great line. Brian, do you want to say it? Um, when he's trying to explain things to Tony and Tony's not getting it. Oh, the doctor says, I am making perfect sense. You're just not keeping up. Yes. I just love that bit going, wait a minute. And that puts in the reaction to Nazreen. Her reactions to everything that's going on is priceless. I mean, it reminds me of Norma Desmond. I speak with my eyes, you know, kind of thing. Where so much comes through and that she's listening to the doctor and getting what he's saying and just being kind of in awe, not of him, but of what's going on and what he's saying. But wait a minute. This is a whole different way of looking at everything when amy is thinking um i did not like the doctor promising her that he wasn't gonna let go she's gonna be okay and that went on for a while and it every time it's like like there's a lot of loss in these two episodes and i feel like the doctor rory amy all want everyone else to trust them and their ability to overcome like whatever obstacle goes their way especially because at the beginning they see in 10 years we're going to be fine look right there we are but like this is the point where it's like things aren't okay amy is gone and you know the doctor like as the audience we we know it's going to be okay because people you know disappear and come back we didn't actually see her die and we know that there's a mystery happening but i was really like not happy with the doctor during this because he's making promises that he can't keep. It almost felt like that was some remnants of the old doctor who would have said that and been we would have believed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not gonna let anything happen. But this this doctor has screwed up so much yeah. in this just these few first few episodes. But I think it's almost like he doesn't realize he's not that that other guy anymore. Mm. And it would have been another perfect place for him to say, we, you know, everything's going to be fine in 10 years. So, you know, whatever happens, you know, it's just they it's it's just. Yeah. But he knows that that time is time wibbly is, and wobbly. Right. But she could have said, we'll be fine in 10 years. And then he could have said, well, well time isn't always like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, you could die here. Well, not at that moment. <laughs> Maybe another like another uh, yeah. another instance. I mean, I know we're joking, but that could have been played for drama. Yeah. Because her hand and her uh, the doctor, you know, they're holding hands and she could have said, this isn't supposed to happen. I saw that I live through this in 10 years. Why am I going to die now? And I thought, and then well, yeah, that could, could have been said, better. You, know, you won't die. I won't let it happen. Or yeah. It was a lost opportunity. It, and it's those moments that we're talking about right now that you, when they are there in these episodes, mm-hmm. that's what makes this show so special. Yeah. And I think, Brian, this goes along with what you were saying. Like, that's what's making this episode feel different is there weren't those moments like that. Yeah, it, this 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 Doctor feels very much the Doctor from The Beast Below, you know, his first real episode. They're still yeah. not, it, it just feels like the they, they haven't gotten a hang of the Doctor's character yeah. yet. But that's and, okay. and he is making mistakes and things, but at this point in time, we've watched Amy's Choice, and we've watched, you know, where, where Matt Smith has gotten a handle on the character, they, they're writing the character, you know, he's not as right. brusque, you know, he's not... Well, as, like you said, I mean, I mean who knows when they, he, uh, Chris uh, Chibnall wrote this, um, and, you'll, and you'll hear in many commentaries and ch- shows and movies, like, yeah, we realize we should have put this in after the fact, yeah. TV schedules, I mean, you know. I just want to um, point out how uh, Amy keeps mentioning that she should be in Rio, which is why I guess right. she's in those short shorts. Yeah. But I feel like this outfit of hers really isn't that different it's than not. all the outfits I've seen her in so far. Yeah. Exactly. So I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, and like Lori her. has the vest. You wouldn't wear that going to Rio. Rio. No. Yeah. But I do like that there is a reason for her dressing like that in yeah. this episode, wherein, like we mentioned in Victory of the Daleks, you're in World War II, you wouldn't be wearing that. Yeah. Right, it's a little too late for me, yeah. I think. It, it, it totally agree. It, it, it's like, it's a mute point at this, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. it's a moot point 
Um, Amy, you look, you yeah. dressed this you dressed this way the uh, entire time. Or, Have you been hoping for Rio this entire time? Like, that could have been the running gag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is Rio? No, this is London World War II, the Blitz. Is this Rio? No, this is 2020 in Wales. <laughs> this isn't Pismo Beach. I should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque. I, I did like the foreshadowing of Rory standing in a grave. Didn't even think of that. Ooh. I had the no too. <laughs> well, he's been dead before. The doctor discovers that the ground has been bioprogrammed to attack when the drill is turned on. They hear drilling under the ground and realize that something is on its way up. As they head outside, they see an energy barrier has surrounded the area, trapping them inside. Rory meets up with the doctor and asks about Amy. He tells Rory that he will get Amy back, and everyone goes into the nearby church to use as a safe camp against whatever is on its way up. So before we discuss that, I forgot to mention the sound of the what we know now as the Silurians drilling. It sounds like, or transporting, is the, um, it sounds like the echo of the Dalek fire. I don't know if you guys recognize that either. No, I didn't. I, for, I forgot to mention that because you, you first hear it when Mo gets uh, sucked down. Mm. Later on in the Silurian areas, the sound effects are from Star Trek The Original Series. Speaking of the church, that's another connection to Father's Day where the doctor, something's going on, and then he says, go to the church. It's the oldest and safest uh, place to be. Right. I like, I like the quick thing of uh, you know, Rory, who is still, he's just, he just doesn't like the doctor at this point. And where he's just like, well, you know, can't you just open the door? Just sonic it. It's like, it doesn't work on wood. And I love Rory just being like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And the doctor's like, don't diss the sonic. I mean, <laughs> I, that, that to me encap encapsulates their relationship at this point where it's, you know, Rory's like, I am not impressed with you. And, you know, the doctor is just like, you don't know. <laughs> what you're saying <laughs> i really like how you know even though rory is a very meek character and personality he has no problem yelling at the doctor and arguing and and saying this isn't right when it, it has to goes, deal with amy yeah when it has to deal with amy um and it also goes along with when we first saw him he was trying to uncover something with the doctors in the hospital to to the doctors in the hospital and no one would listen to him um, and that that actually goes along very well with his where his character goes as the series moves on. Maybe I can't say too much. That's <laughs> interesting that you say meek. Why do you think he's meek? Because he's bumbling. He's he can't wrap his words around you know his um, his thoughts. Um, he's. Uh, he's unsure as, of himself. He's unsure of himself. He's looked at as, you know, what would we typically call a nerd or, or a geeky type of personality. And it was comparison to him and then the handsome next door neighbor, you know. Um, he has an inferiority uh, complex. Yes. He, 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 he. There's even the whole thing about him being a nurse, not a doctor. Mm -hmm. That's connotated there. It's Which he, he's he, the one always bringing up. It's not really he's the brought one up always anybody bringing, else. Yeah. He's, you know, he's also painted to be a bit henpecked by by um, by Amy, who doesn't even give him much mind, you know. So his just whole demeanor is is meek in, in in traditional ways, and that's why I really like that you really can't push him around. The only thing he doesn't have is either experience or masterful verb verbiage. He accepts himself to be so humble, like he embraces his humble nature and has no ego, but he only. He'll stand up for himself and only gets pushed around when he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, I just I just find it because I don't see him as meek. So I just found that interesting. I see. But I, I think everything that you said and why you see him as meek, I agree with. I see him more as like an easygoing guy as um, that's how I would describe him. I would never describe him as meek. So that was just interesting. But that's how you see him. I see that's how he's being painted. Okay. I see him as very meek at this point. At the, and more, yes, more so earlier. I mean, as time goes on, he's yelling at the doctor more and more. Well, yeah. yeah. I see him as an easygoing guy who struggles with self-confidence. That's meek. Oh, okay. <laughs> Take it from one who knows. I got I've had plenty of mirrors over the years to tell me that. <laughs> oh, my God, that was perfect. <laughs> how are you now, though? Shut up. 
One thing I, just as we're talking about Rory's character, he is always the first one to check in on everybody else. Like anything happens, he's the one that says, is everyone okay? Are you okay? Like, because he's a nurse. And so that's very much in character. Like caregiver. Yeah. Well, the one one other thing that I really liked during this paragraph was uh, when the doctor was first talking to Nazreen and Tony, he was very complimentary that they got to the depth that they got. Like, even though we find that it's a dangerous situation in the moment the doctor is still impressed by yeah. her which right. i think really is nice for their continued yeah. relationship during this episode these two episodes and that to me felt very 10th doctor like you human beings you just can't can't keep human beings down or from going down going down the drill uh, drilling you. drilling no no Ambrose and Elliot learn that Mo is missing, and the doctor has everyone set up. Hey, where's Mo? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I thought it. <laughs> we all thought it. <laughs> and the doctor has everyone set up every piece of equipment they can find sensors, cameras, etc., as a network so he can monitor what is coming up from the Earth below. He rigs the makeshift network so he can send a pulse from his sonic to incapacitate whatever comes up if necessary. Ambrose starts gathering weapons for defense, but the doctor says that they are not his style and she can do better. Elliot tells the doctor he is going to get his headphones and runs outside the church. The barrier dome becomes black, blotting out the sun. Okay. I agree. (laughs) I know time is wibbly wobbly, but six minutes to do what the A-team usually takes 15 minutes to do. I just can't, I just, I, I could not get past, I'll believe alien, I'll believe lizard people from the ground. I will not believe they could have done all that in six minutes. Just drawing the picture of the building itself on the map with many pictures alone would have taken 10 minutes by someone who was even a professional artist. Oh, that's what it is. Well, it's that, it's that climbing up to hang a camera and getting it in place would have taken five minutes, let alone climbing down and going to the church. I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't deal with the wibbly wobbliness of six minutes. I get it because I was watching it specifically. As soon as I started to get annoyed, I remembered this about the show. And then I was like, could they have said 12 minutes? Is there anything specific <laughs> to six? They, they could have said 20 minutes. It's They could have just said a different amount of time, and, and it still would have felt dangerous. Here, done. Here's my issue with it. It's another thing of unnecessary padding. Because literally, yeah. why, do, why in all the times of trying to find out something, scan something, do something, does he, this time, you have to collect all the equipment so that everybody's got something to do. Whereas every other script, he would have just pointed the Sonic down and went, oh, wow, something's coming up. It yeah. just drives me nuts. And again, on first viewing, I think it's exciting and it, it, it kind of gets you in the mood, you know, like, oh, they're going to do that, you know, and then, you know, what we'll find out um, that it didn't even work because they shut it all down. Yeah, it was a great plan until the power goes out. Yeah. <laughs> and as a yeah. lot of misleads and, and it adds a lot of tension. And I understand, like, maybe they it was at 20 minutes, but they made it six minutes to add tension. But it just was, it, it felt very obvious in that regard. It was to show the kid has value. Even if he is dyslexic and can't write out what he's initially well, supposed to be doing, it's like, no, you can still do this and show that you still have value. And to show the doctor is a pacifist and doesn't want to use the guns that Ambrose got. All good things. But why six? There's no reason for it to be six minutes, it's just too unrealistic. 10 minutes is scary. 12, 20 minutes is scary. It's all scary. It could have been shot the exact, it could have not been changed at all except for the word six. Sorry. And I would have cut the whole damn thing. Well, I would not have cut the guns scene. To me, that's a completely different issue. The problem I have with that scene is is I don't like Matt Smith's read on it where he gives it a little too much menace. Or it's like, put it away or you'll regret it. It was a threatening tone. Yeah. Because it seems the reason he wants her to put the guns away is the reason he's... Like, he's using the same method that I think... He's threatening. So so it doesn't work for me in that aspect. Yeah, the way he stares her down like that, he threatens her into not being threatening yeah right i think he there could have been a way to say that line without the menace 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say this though that there is this motif with this doctor at this point, you know, because when, even when he's talking to Elliot, he says, Aren't, "Are you scared of monsters?" No, they're scared of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, there's this whole ego that is developed with this doctor up to this point by now, and I think that even goes into the 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 the, the, the part of the show where he disregards that the boy is going to run out to get his headphones and you know in danger because he's so he feels so powerful that he just doesn't even think to protect a child because he treats all because i guess in a way to a time lord we're all, all, we're all children, children yeah you know for as long as they're old forgetting that this is just a kid this doctor can doesn't see peripherally right the other doctors have you're right and and but i do folks so even though i'm not i kind of agree with what you were saying brian and i don't like it i think it is sort of a something that is consistent with which doctor is the 11th doctor <laughs> um which he will grow out of but uh i kind of like that like and he realizes he did wrong when it happens and but that he misses the whole point of elliot going i'm gonna go home and get my headphones right you know it's like no any of the other doctors are saying no you're staying here <laughs> And that's so unique to this doctor in other episodes as well, just showing you're missing parts of the picture. And the doctor, at least in the reincarnation since 2005, doesn't miss those things. They're adding up and he's seeing it in his head. And later on, this doctor, I think, develops that. But he lost that ability. And that's probably, now, you know, we're talking about Amy and her character development over time. That might be something that has been planned. Like, this is a long, not a long con, but a bit of a long con, uh, yeah, for a a character arc that uh, at the moment we, you know, if we haven't watched it for their episode, Episodes we don't we're not aware of yet so I think it's it's very interesting and, and deeper than we probably think it is what you said Josh about uh, Elliot the conversation with the doctor the monsters are afraid of me it's a callback to the tenth doctor in a girl in the fireplace when he speaks to young Renette or Madame de Pompadour and he says yeah the same line and then goes back into time or the future and then comes back and she's older that's another episode where he's just flippant and disregards Mm -hmm. a child or another you know young woman in this case like not even thinking about the consequences to her and stuff like yeah but in that case it's more justified because of the way that time doesn't work for him like it does in here yeah anyway that that scene to me or what we're talking about the negatives um i feel like maybe it might have been a producer note like you need to take time develop some of these characters and then this was the best way that it could have been done again it didn't make me like the episode less but it did take me out of the moment for about six minutes (laughs) (laughs) because because i do like that the doctor does spend time with uh elliot because it's addressing the children that are watching the show yeah and then who might have um dyslexia Mm. so i thought that that was nice to have him be useful despite his um i guess handicap or disability honestly josh i never considered the six minute time limit until you brought it up yeah well didn't even didn't even get because i maybe i was too much of why are they collecting electronic equipment this is stupid yeah well i mean i i'm i i tend to notice things about how long things take yeah i'm so once you point it out it makes perfect I mean, it takes me at least a half hour to 40 minutes to set up for this podcast. <laughs> so, like, to set up the surveillance grid on the whole city in six minutes is definitely <laughs> suspension of belief. Yeah. And where did they get all the equipment? Why is that in the church? It just wasn't explained that they would have all these small cameras around. Well, was, I think it was the rummage sale that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> After the city was abandoned. Yeah. Because yeah. they couldn't find how to pronounce the name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They went to the wrong. Yeah. This isn't Steve. (laughs) I took it as their house is nearby. Some stuff's in their car. It wasn't the whole city. It was just like the localized area. No, in the in the basement. They but they didn't say why. But the basement had a lot of electronics. Oh, maybe it was the basement of the church. Sure. It, it, that's just it. You can you can ex, you, you can think up excuses for a number of things, but like this, just there's like too many things. To we think. don't want to think up the excuses. We want it there. There's a reason. We're just not. Or, the, yeah, yeah. You know, you can have one of those an episode. You can't have sixteen. Yeah, and this is that, to me for six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to say that. I just couldn't find my words. I was too meek. On a positive note, I love it when they played the music. I am the doctor. Oh yeah, it was a great moment. In cello. Yeah. That, I love that sound. And, when, and it's what, the whole what, planning for heroics as they're starting to go we're going to beat this get all the equipment you can we're going to string it up and in six minutes we're going to be awesome (laughs) another good note is when the barrier dome blots out the sun i thought that was the continuity from going from day to night shooting was great 
and, and also added to the creepiness factor yeah. because we don't know what the villain is yet, but yeah. we're still in this kind of horror. He put the heat seek the heat seeking the uh, the infrared glasses on, and that's how he knew they were reptilian. Which again, Why? seriously, the sunglasses. <laughs> I was wondering if that was a precursor that's to was, uh, the next was doctor. Uh, that, uh, is that they're the same exact glasses? I think the same type no, of style. No, they're glasses, but they're the same type of style. Well, okay, that's the thing. Aren't they wayfarers? Yeah, the same. Yeah, we didn't want nothing. What? Nothing. <laughs> we didn't want to plug it. Plug wayfarer. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to plug them. <laughs> no free rides. But if they would up. like to sponsor the podcast, I'd be, yeah. I think we would be more than open. This episode's been brought to you by Wayfarers. <laughs> Doctor Sunglasses. <laughs> Copyright Ray Band. Ray Band. I did say that I thought Ellie was a really good actor. Oh, he was. Yeah, he I was. <laughs> his reaction and he's like paying attention. He's like right there in the moment. I thought, okay, he's going to be something. He's going to continue acting, hopefully. Probably. Well, we should look him up. Uh, but um, I did feel with his accent, though, I don't know exactly what kind it was. Welsh, I assume. Uh, it was a little hard to understand him sometimes. Yeah, Elliot is played by Samuel Davis, and he, he hasn't really done a lot. He's done uh, recent, most recently High Tide, and then he was in the TV series Casualty. And then before Doctor Who, he was in Framed, a TV movie, and Thunderpants. Uh, back to his conversation with the Doctor talking about the monsters. In the next part, Molake, the, the Doctor from the race we're going to meet, has a line where he says, they aren't monsters and neither are we. So I thought that was a nice yeah. like connection to, between the parts of like what what does it mean to be a monster? What does it mean to be a person? And like how do we treat each other? Yes. Yeah. The ground begins to tremble, blowing out the power. Ambrose notices Elliot is gone and berates the doctor for letting him go. Outside, Elliot is being chased by a creature who grabs him just as he reaches the church door. When Ambrose runs outside and finds the headphones, she is attacked by a lizard creature, but her father Tony pushes the beast off of her. It strikes Tony in his neck with its tongue, infecting him with poison. The doctor sends everyone back inside the church and searches for the cold-blooded creature. No, literally, cold-blooded and realizes who they are. He uses a fire extinguisher to temporarily bring down the body temperature of the creature, then he and Rory lock it inside a van. The old sticking door on the church trick. <laughs> <laughs> this is another case, like the doctor not being the hero. He lets Elliot get captured, just like uh, Amy is uh, lost to the ground. So it feels odd that the doctor who is the hero of the show is sort of not heroic in his results. It's mm. it's it's not who I want the doctor to be. Yeah, I agree. And and it's not who we've known him to be. I did like his reaction of I should have seen that with Elliot. His recognition of what he did. And to me, if they had played again that waving scene in the beginning that everything's going to be fine, we're going to figure this out, and him trusting or having false confidence in that, allowing him to make these mistakes, I think that would this would have sat better with me on a character story level. And I didn't get from him the conviction that he is going to get them back. He didn't have that passion that I've seen in Tenet, or even Eccleston when he's saying to Rose at the end of the first season, when he's talking to the Daleks, you're scared because I am coming for you and I am going to get you back. And, and she's surrounded by Daleks and you still believe him. And that's such a different feel of the Doctor that I think yeah. those of us who came along with Tenet's run in Eccleston, right. it's like that's what's missing and that's why we didn't connect with Matt Smith's version of him. For us, Frank, this Matt Smith, though, was the first new Doctor we had week by week by week. We didn't know what was coming next. Like, Yeah, but I, I mean, we were a lot more accepting. I'm going, what is it? I'm just trying to analyze my own no, I think ideas right. of this could be part of the reasons that, I, that were not tangible before. Going, yeah. What is it right. about this Doctor that's just not feeling right? It's feeling off. It's not the Doctor we've known. The other thing about this scene where um, Ambrose is yelling at the Doctor, you know, he he's practically at a loss for words and there is actually one point where she's like he was out there all alone and the, they cut to the doctor who says nothing says nothing and then you, you know they immediately cut to outside with elliot running and that's so undoctor like but i like that yeah that i liked but it's that's a that's yeah. a change where it's like wow this doctor seems out of his element he's not everything yeah, turns but... out okay in the end but I think that's what makes this season and this Doctor stand the test of time, I mean, going back to it, I think. But it, we've spoken about it before where it was time for a change. There was just a lot of macho Doctor energy, and, and um, it was just, you know, Tenet was there for so long, and 
the, that Davies era of being so grandiose to start seeing the Doctor screw up, I think it was time. I'm liking this a lot more watching it this time because I have distance from the past. So it is recognizing what he's doing and that this is such a fallible doctor. He doesn't have the same words and he's lost for words at that scene, which I think was done really well. And I think that's a lot of who the Matt Smith doctor realizes it can be. So it's just, you know, that's his personality. And that's so I like it more now. But it's at least it's showing off going, this could be the reason why I didn't like it at the beginning when I first saw it. Oh, yeah. Because I was expecting something different from it. Uh, but it actually made me think in a moment when he didn't have anything to say, uh, it occurred to me that when she said he was out there all alone, he may have actually been thinking like, I know what that feels like. Mm. You know, I can't even be alone. I always have to have companions <laughs> and things like that. I've, I'm, I'm alone. I'm the only one left of my kind. You know, he's known alone for, for you know, what it means to, in, in your bones and to think of a, you know, a little boy out there like that. I do like the effect from the Silorian helmets, though, whenever they're scanning and they do the heat thing. Yes. I think that's really fun and adds to, like, the mysterious horror feel of it. Mm. Like, what's this creepy thing coming at me and it's seeing me different? And Yes. And the way that their helmets looked like actual real creatures, it was carved in a certain a way. A very to make cheap this... way to make a lot of masks yeah, for yeah. people. But also that it didn't look like a metal mask. Yeah. Oh, I understand. It was the doctor had met Silurians before. That's why he knew some who they were. form of them. He said he right. Did. So yes. this was more of <laughs> that look, right? That they based the mask on. Uh. Oh. For the classic who. Yes. Oh, it was a classic who thing? Yes. The makeup improved greatly. <laughs> it's um, the first appearance is Doctor Who and the Silurians with the third Doctor, John Pertwee. And they look, it's like a helmet. It's not a mask. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't allow for any emotion from the actors because mm-hmm. you just saw the mask. And they kind of talked like this. And they had a they had a third eye, and they removed the third eye because it was too reminiscent of Davros. Mm. It's like how can you put in a little line like that to make it okay that they don't look like the classic version, but you couldn't do any other things for these other things we're bringing up, yeah. like just drop in a line here or there. Yeah, the capture of Alea, the the Solarian was really cool. I like that, like the reflection in the mirror, yes. how the Doctor saw it was like running up to him, and then the Meals on Wheels van, the back was also cool so that was a good little oh, I didn't like, even think of that connection mm-hmm. See, that's another thing too they probably thought that was so obvious but it wasn't obvious I just thought it was a van yeah it was a very quick line oh they did like have... when he was looking at it when I think Ambrose was bringing the weapons oh. he was like oh the front is heated and the back is cool oh, I didn't mm-hmm. catch that. I know it yeah. went by very fast that. yeah again classic who mm-hmm. information is given to you very quickly um, also in that capture, I feel like that was the first time we started hearing more of the human actor. Like, you yeah. started to hear a like female scream, scream or, yeah. or grunts or something that clued us, was starting to clue us in that these aren't monsters. These are mm-hmm. more sentient beings. Amy wakes up underneath a transparent barrier. A distorted figure approaches as gas fills her container and she is asleep once again. The doctor and Rory take their prisoner to the basement of the church so the doctor can talk to her. She is Alea, part of a species that has been asleep under the earth. The drill threatened their life support system, so her section, the warrior class, was woken to address the threat. The war against the humans has started and they plan to destroy the vermin infesting their planet, these primitive apes calling themselves humans. I really didn't like her calling people apes. I found it to be very, like, our vernacular, you know? Like, and I, who knows if these people are thousands of years old. They might not have even been apes to, to use such... And I understand it's the TARDIS translating whatever their term may be, but I found it to be so specific. But in the next episode, they explained there were apes, and they used to hunt them. I still found it too, But yeah, but I understand they used it because they needed to show their attitude towards us. I found it to be too vernacular driven the same way the horns on in the satan pit (laughs) six minutes and stuff like that it just it bumps me josh when the doctor took off alaya's mask i thought of a simpsons reference uh when i believe bart or lisa goes and meets one of the voice actors for something else for for, uh the dog i think for uh smoochie no poochie Poochie. and it was uh a woman doing the voice acting yeah yeah Yeah, and she's like she's a lady a beautiful lady like 
that right. was, was itchy and scratchy. But yeah, when that mask comes off and it's finally revealed, like this is a female actor playing this part, and the doctor even says, "You're beautiful." Like that, that just ran through my head. And <laughs> I thought of you. I, it's funny because I, for some reason, I thought of the itchy and scratchy land where they remove the the faceplate off of the robot and it screams. It goes, <laughs> and they're like, "I wish you wouldn't do that." <laughs> Because it looks like that mask is the face. Yeah. So I thought he was just going to remove the face. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you know that's a mask and not yeah. the face? Yeah. Because uh, the Silurians didn't look like that before. Well, it would have been a fun callback in the, well, even later in this episode, if like the Silurian doctor was like, I'm going to remove your mask right. now to Amy. He's like, no, no, I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> I thought the makeup, though, was... Great. I will agree with you there. That's amazing stuff. And I love it. There must be something not that, I mean, I, I'm speaking out of turn, I know, not that hard to do about lizard people makeup. Um, because back in the movie The Last Starfighter, Robert Preston had similar makeup, and it looked just as good. And that was in the 80s. So I think there's something about the segmented scales mm-hmm. and the way it can adhere to the um, and you face can hide prosthetically. All the yeah, I yeah. think uh, because same same thing, and it worked really great, yeah. That wasn't um, that wasn't Robert Preston. That was uh, in the Last Starfighter. Yeah, that yeah, it wa- was n- not yeah. with the lizard. Oh. It was Dan O'Hurley. You're right. You're right. Family. Well, Robert Preston was played the other. Yeah, he played the other uh, the salesman con artist guy. He was a friend of our family's. Robert Preston. O'Hurley. Dan O'Hurley. Uh-huh. Very Irish. <laughs> very very Irish. Incredibly Irish. He also plays the old man in the RoboCop, the original RoboCop movies. And to, sorry to jump timeline a little bit, is this the same actress that will continue to play our Silorian? But it's not the same. Not the same character, but the same actress. Okay. But they mentioned that too, mm-hmm. the genetic line. But even even after these two parters, like, oh. it's, is it still the same yes. actress? Okay. Yes. Cool. And this sass I did like about from Amy. Did you just shush me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I did like. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of like a Donna moment almost. <laughs> The Doctor plans to descend into the Earth and negotiate with the tribe of Silurians living below. While he is gone, those left in the church need to keep Elias safe so that they can trade her for the others. The Doctor reminds them that they must be the best humanity can be so this negotiation can go well. Tony and Ambrose reluctantly agree. The Doctor and Nazarene take the TARDIS below, but the Silurians hijack it, bringing it down even further than the drilling goes. The Doctor and Nazarene are in a series of tunnels deep within the Earth and find a huge city of Silurians. The doctor's speech here that nobody dies today reminded me of um, The Doctor Dances. Mm -hmm. Eccleston does the same thing, but I didn't feel it in this episode. Agreed. Only only Nazarene like claps, like she <laughs> yeah. starts to clap and then it's the awkward stop because nobody else is clapping with her. Oh, yeah, but that I, was great. I was with her in that moment because the, I I I do that. It also in, sets this character so. up for where she for goes. Where she go- yeah, literally where she goes. Yeah. <laughs> Physically where she goes. I don't think the doctor knows his audience. He yeah. already has Rory following him. Even after he's lost Amy, he goes, Rory, I need you and you have to be there and we'll be okay. And Nazarene's part of it. She's with Rory and like, this is good. She applauds. The other two have already said, well, shouldn't we do something? Should we have her dissect her, figure out how to fight against them? And his daughter Ambrose has already gotten weapons. It's like, you look at these people and they're going to be aggressive. Alea is very aggressive. And so they're just responding in force. And I don't think this speech addresses that at all. Well, yeah, but he, his idea of the human race, uh, he's, he's, he's caught in his own rhetoric. But that's true. I, I was going to say that that feels inconsistent because what we've been discussing before, where the doctor can't see the forest for the trees. I think it's his perfect way of the double writing that has been going on in the season of him saying, I'm making perfect sense. You're, not, you're just not keeping up. And he doesn't realize that's reversed. They're not keeping up and he's going on without them. And he's, he doesn't have them where he needs them to be right. exactly. at this point because he's not paying attention to that. Yeah. You know, right. It's like, no, what you just said, yes, they're not keeping up. So bring them along, get them up to speed. And maybe that's because Amy's not with him, because Rory doesn't know him that well to tell him. That's part of it. I mean, I don't think Amy would. I think other past and, companions and, would. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying is like the, compa- the main companion is the one to tell him to stop. And you are being crazy or you're being rude. Don't do that and start talking to these people like people. Oh, I don't right. see him being rude. I just see him, it's just a not. And that's an example that I'm using from the other um, doctor. Right, okay. He does have it's a just great a w- line, though. I mean, I love it when uh, when Ambrose says, you're going to go and talk to these aliens? And he's like, they aren't aliens. They're Earth 
aliens. You know, this is their planet too. But the problem is that argument's never going to work on Ambrose ever. Yeah, that's what makes me feel that this doctor is inconsistent because he can look at the Silurians that way, but he can't look at how to talk to these people in the church that way. I mean, he's talking to Nazarene that way. I mean, saying that to Nazarene is perfect thing to say. But, she gets it, yeah. But she's the one that's going to go with him. He needs the rest of them to keep Alea alive. Right. To me, that's a little... It's like, that's important. You see these people wanting to bring guns, and, and then you're just going to say, do the thing I need you to do. Bye. You're not going to ensure that they don't mess this up? It just feels off he for me. He gives humans too much credit. You would kind of think, you know, a... Uh, 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 young mother of a child living in Wales wouldn't kill a captive prisoner. Not when she thinks that that captive prisoner is responsible for her own child dying, though. He did explain, now we have a hostage, so we can use that to get back their hostages. Yeah. And, and, and that I get. I get his plan there. I just felt it was too easy for him to leave them with that much... Uh, responsibility. Well, there was an agenda in the story that they need, we needed to compare Ambrose and, and the, her father to the aliens. Yeah. You know, being the whole hypocrisy of that they're both angry Earthly at each other. Earthly ends. Sorry. And that I, I totally get that. I just, there's something about this scene that just yeah I, doesn't ring, like connect with me as yeah. much as I wanted well, to. It's, I wish they had done a few more passes on it and they could have even have made it longer and cut out some of the fluff from earlier to, to really say that, you know, Nazarene's on his side, Tony's kind of well, in the middle and if he wasn't sick, he wasn't poisoned by him, he'd probably be a voice of reason too. And then Ambrose is just, no, I want them stopped. And Nazarene wasn't supposed to go with him. He wasn't planning that. Right. So he thought she was going to be there, but then at the last moment, she's great. I love the way she does this. I love this actress. You know, she just plays it so well, going, that's not my entire life. I'm going with you. Yeah. <laughs> this is not an option. When uh, Nazarene, and when she's about to enter into the TARDIS, it just feels like the blocking is obvious. Like Matt Smith goes into the TARDIS, he closes the door very quickly, and then... Right. And then uh, Tony and Nazarene are outside. And the way, I don't remember who puts their hand on the door, but it feels like obvious to me that they they don't want to open the door. And then when she walks through, I don't know, it's just funny. It's like, they didn't set up so you could see inside. Yeah, it's like, don't open the door too long. <laughs> it's like, it really isn't that big. Matt Smith is just standing there behind the door. Yeah. <laughs> don't let him see. And but she doesn't say it. Mm -hmm, yeah. I love that. She doesn't but, say it's bigger on the inside. Right, but I, I kind of felt like when she looked, when they looked at each other, she was thinking it. And, yes. Because he kind of like was nodding back to her like, yes. yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I love that. She gets it. Yeah, she doesn't have yeah. to say it, but she's still feeling it. She said it with and her eyes. Yes. <laughs> And then when they get down to, I guess, the Earth's core or wherever the Silurians are at, I didn't know they were in Mexico because all of a sudden it's yellow. <laughs> Put a yellow filter over everything. And we're south of the border. <laughs> I liked the reveal of the city under, uh, in the center of the Earth. It was very journey to the center of the Earth. About a dozen or so, you say. <laughs> Small tribe. About Small a tribe. dozen, yeah. you say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, and I like how Nazarene has that little bit of shock entering the TARDIS, but quickly adapts, and then that's the last time she's shocked. So when she's walking around these tunnels going, oh, look, there's tunnels. Mm. Oh, look, there's a giant city. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like when they first get down to the, the center of the Earth and the Doctor and Nazarene leave the TARDIS, they have a quick conversation, and then the Doctor gets to work right away and leaves, and she just has that one moment where she's, like, looking around to take it in, but then realizes that <laughs> the Doctor's gone, so she has to catch up. Yes. Like, that was, yes. She would make a great companion. Yes. Companion. Yeah. Agreed. Rory, Tony, and Ambrose go to see Alea, who toys with their minds, saying that one of them will kill her, beginning the war that will wipe out humans from the planet. Tony leaves and sees that the venom infection is spreading. Amy wakes up again and is now tied to a vertical medical bed next to a worn out but living Mo. He has a large scar down his torso from the dissection medical procedures that have been done on him so far. A Silurian doctor turns his attention to Amy. I, when I hear dissection, I think you're going to die from this procedure. So it's weird that Mo is still alive. Yeah, well, they're, he put it, they he got, put they're, they got 
sci-fi technology. Better. I'm just saying. And didn't they even say like they did to him while he was alive? He was awake. Was awake. Yeah, awake. Like it was just. Oh, there's just a lot of stuff in this script that is for shock value or scare value or you know without just just for the purpose of that idea yeah. and without not really the logic. without the, without grounding it. Yeah. Like I it, see what you did there. No. <laughs> You did it with what I did. <laughs> um, when we find out who the scientist is, then then there's inconsistencies in some of the things he has done. Anyway. And see, that's why I think that that doctor wouldn't have dissected Mo based on what he's seen of the right, but We don't know that yet. But that's why this is hitting me in right, a right. negative way yeah. because I know who this character becomes. Right, yeah. exactly. It's another thing that doesn't pay off properly. And I explain it by being like, it, the, he's yeah. just not aware. It's, it's like us... The way we treat our um, subspecies. Yeah, but we still you know? don't dissect animals when they're alive. And they don't talk back either. Well, yeah. I think <laughs> true. And they don't talk back. True. But, but didn't like, we in the 1600s, 1800s, you know, didn't they yeah. do experiments and yeah. all this stuff? You in the 1900s yeah, cutting open went, yeah, the brain the, and electrocuting live animals? Yeah. But yeah. That, was that was back then. back then. Not, not highly mean, advanced. My point is, is this character turned out to be a very empathetic character. And I would have been okay if this had been a different doctor. And then the other uh, doctor in the second episode comes in and like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> yeah, like, well, this is what we always do. Again, it's like a quick fix. Because right now they're showing the Silurians as not being... As you put it, that having empathy. Any kind of humanity, which is a bad term for this, but <laughs> right, empathy. Right. It, they were worse than the Klingons and Chemadar put together. Yeah, I tell you. <laughs> you know, it's they are a warring race. They will dissect live beings, but that's what Tony was doing. So they're trying to do a parallel between humans and Solarians. But it's just putting them at such a threat. Yeah. Which I'm more on Josh's side going, this didn't pay off. This is the warring race are called that because that's all they think of. They're not three-dimensional kind of beings. Right. And like, like Eugene said, other doctors may have done that, but this one. Anyway, yeah. we get the point of both sides. As we mentioned, we have uh, Aaliyah. She's played by Neve McIntosh, and she also plays Restak. And we will see her later, and I'll mention that when that happens. We haven't met Restak yet. Nope. But she is uh, Madame Vastra. I know Vastra isn't well liked in the Who who community, but I love her so much. It's like I wanted her to get her own spin off. And then Nazarene Chandra, Chandri, is played by Mira Shal. And she has been a fan of Doctor Who since she was a child. So it was a big deal for her to come onto the show. That's super cool, because then her character does all that stuff. I know. So it could be why you feel it so much from her. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. She's not a good actress. She's just really yeah. loving this part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've most recently seen her in Yesterday. She plays Sheila Malik, which is the mom of the main character. And she was in Doctor Strange. She played Doctor Patel. She was in oh. the the beginning scene. She was uh, had her face covered in the operating room with uh, Doctor Strange. Oh. So you never see her? I recognize her, her. eyes. <laughs> she speaks with I, her I, eyes. I did recognize her, but I don't know from what. And uh, she was in Broadchurch season two. Maybe as that's why. As Judge Sonia Sharma. Nutcracker in the Foreign Realms. Tony Mack is played by Robert Puh, P-U-G-H. He was in Game of Thrones Season 2 and 3 oh, okay. as the master of Craster's Keep that is beyond the wall. He was also in Torchwood Season 2, the episode Adrift. He played Jonah. That's the episode where a teenager disappears. Ambrose is played by Nia Roberts. She's not Felicia Day. <laughs> she is not. And then uh, Mo is played by Alan, A-L-U-N, Raglan. He was in Gladiator as the Praetorian Guard number one, and he was in Merlin as Serdan. And uh, we mentioned earlier that Elliot is played by Samuel Davis. So, The Hungry Earth, who is this episode good for, or more specifically, this episode is good for who? A new viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of the show, or a diehard? I uh, don't think I would use this episode to introduce Doctor Who to somebody, but I did, I did really enjoy it. So I won't say for a new Who viewer, but I will say for a casual viewer. Like, I think if you, if you understand the Doctor a little bit, or if you like Amy and Rory, it's a, it's a good episode, and it's nice to get some of that um, groundwork for later with the Silurians, and yeah, but I, I can't say no. So I'm going to go with casual. I'm trying to think if there's anything in this episode that would confuse people if they only knew 
a little bit about the doctor because I want to put it in the casual category because I remember liking this the first time I saw it and but I don't think it's one that many fans go back and rewatch which is what I classify as a f- good for a fan is one that's like enjoyable for a fan to go back and rewatch over and over again um I I like this episode I like the second half I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with casual because I agree with Auburn I don't think I would use this to introduce because I do think there there's a little bit more that I would um a little bit more I would want um a viewer to know about the doctor and Amy and Rory before just being like watch this but I don't know I'm going to change mine to you. <laughs> I don't know why you guys make me go first. I should just go last. Yeah, After second, Eugene. We'll remember that from now on. <laughs> Not second. I'm, actually, you know what? I'm going to say new because... But I, I'm going to change I... my... No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have what you're having. <laughs> I, I'm just going to stick to casual, but I... But I'm, I'm going to stick with casual, but I... Yes. I'm on the fence between a new and casual. Seems to be the place to be. Um, the thing that's keeping me from new is that it's a two-parter. And mostly, if you're going to have a new viewer, you want to show them just a one episode. But that being said, because <laughs> I don't think anything really before, you don't need to know anything really before this. You kind of get the idea of it. Yes, there's a lot more involved with Rory and Amy, but you understand the relationship in this point. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'll say, yeah, for a new viewer. Maybe not exactly the first one to show, but I think a new viewer, yes, I'll go for a new view. I'm going to say new. I don't think this is the the best episode. I don't think it's a great episode to start someone out on, but I think if someone who's never watched it before, this is fine. It, 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 you don't need to know anything. Um, it's all there on the page. It, and also, even the fact that it is a two-parter, I think, creates a little bit more, oh, what's going to happen? Makes you, Anything that makes you want to watch when you haven't seen it before. And also, too, everything that we've said that we've sort of complained about, we've also said first-time viewing, it was fine. So I think first-time viewing, this is all some cool stuff. There's somebody waving over there. Oh, my God, that's them in the future. Uh, aside from that six minutes bit, I really liked it. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's not as strong as other ones, but I don't think... Uh, I think it actually would probably work better uh, for a new viewer. Uh, I'm also going to say new viewer. I don't particularly like this episode, but I think this episode lays everything out very plainly, and somebody who's new would be able to follow it. I mean, you even get that scene with, why are you wearing the engagement ring? I'm going to go put the engagement ring back. So now you've been told that these two are engaged. Um, You find out about their dynamic really quick. Um, The only thing, well, we're not there yet. Never mind. Um, But yeah, new, because I think it is so padded, it explains a lot more that new people would like. And like Josh says, the first time you watch it, you don't catch it. It's only on repeat viewings. Uh, One quick note is that there's a deleted scene between Amy and the doctor discussing how she had seen herself with Rory 10 years into the future and if that would really happen. But it did not make it to the final cut, so therefore we don't have that. Is it on the DVD? Yes, it is on the DVDs. It's it's very quick and I can see why they cut it. For me, I want to say this is for a casual viewer and I'm on the fence as well because there is a lot of things that you can use to introduce somebody to Doctor Who with, but ultimately I don't feel, or I don't hear anybody talking about this episode. I don't find myself re-watching this episode. So for that fact, it pushes it over into the casual category for me. So that wraps up The Hungry Earth. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who New Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who New Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain.
So the Who New Podcast is going to be attending Rose City Comic Con in Portland, Oregon this September. And Heather was nice enough to uh, approach us and ask us to fill in their uh, Doctor Who programming. Yes, we definitely wanted the podcast to come to the show. And I know you guys have a couple panels, right? Yes, we do. But I want to talk about the main panel with uh, Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper on Saturday at 5.15 in Room 1. I'm just going to read this from the website. It's, Join us for this extra-large panel. First up, she's one of the most beloved companions in Doctor Who, Billy Piper, Rose. Then midway through, you'll get to see the man who helped bring the series back to greatness, Christopher Eccleston. If you're a Whovian, this is a panel you won't want to miss. And again, this is in room one, and it starts at 5.15, and it's going to run about 80 minutes long. And then also on Saturday, before you go to that panel, um, we're going to be having a Doctor Who cosplay meetup in the afternoon at 3 o'clock. Um, I know uh, several members, or maybe just a few members of the podcast are going to be there, so you can come by and say hi and take pictures. Yes, I will definitely be uh, dressed up. Yes, so we'll probably take several pictures. So whether you're a companion, a villain, a doctor, um, there'll be a good photo op for you guys. Cool. And then on Sunday, we have two panels. The first one is going to be in room four, and that starts at noon, 12 p.m. It's going to be our Doctor Who Series 5 or Season 5 overview, and that'll be about uh, 50 minutes long or 45 minutes long, depending. For many people, Matt Smith was their first Doctor. With Jodie Whittaker's first season wrapped, we'll be taking a retrospective look back to Season 5 and discuss how it was being introduced to a new Doctor. Doctor. How did you feel? What were the overarching themes and clues? How was it different? What did we like and what did we not like? How was the Doctor? How was the season overall? And what impact did it have on the grand scheme of things? So that is in room 4 at 12 on Sunday. And then again in, uh, sorry, and then after that in room 4 still, we will be doing Doctor Who trivia. We'll be playing a Doctor Who trivia game amongst our panel our podcast panelists in a game show fashion. The audience will be the lifeline for the panelists if they get stuck. See as our panelists test their Doctor Who knowledge. Trivia will cover the ninth Doctor all the way up to the 13th Doctor. So hopefully uh, we will see some of your listeners there. We will also have some giveaways for those of you who participate. Some other things, uh, Heather, do you want to mention about the uh, photo ops? Yeah, uh, Christopher Eccleston is going to be a guest on Saturday. Um, he'll be there all day. He's doing his signings in the morning, his ops in the afternoon, and um, then the panel with Billy Piper will be later that day. Billy will also be doing those things, but I believe she is going to be there Sunday as well. Uh, this is Christopher Eccleston's first time doing a convention in the U.S. I know, it's going to be so nice. So it's pretty exciting. People have been waiting a long time. Yeah, I know I have. <laughs> the convention itself is at the Oregon Convention Center, uh, September 13th through the 14th. The 15th, right? I'm sorry, <laughs> three three days. Yeah, September 13th through the 15th. There's going to be Doctor Who stuff happening all three days. So I hope we see you all there in person. Yeah, I do too. We'll have uh, we have some new buttons to give out as well. So if you are in the greater northwest of the United States, specifically the Portland, Oregon area, we hope to see you at Rose City Comic Con in September. It is September though. Oh my god. <laughs> so you buried that hatchet oh so nobody laughed at that pun i don't get that pun <laughs> buried very hungry right? well that's a stretch wow <laughs> oh, all right let's get grounded all right. <laughs>